Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it is good to see you guys on another Lord's Day uh, Sunday morning. Uh, if you have not been with us uh, for a while, you know, we've been engaged in this series in the book of Galatians called A Different Gospel. Um, and today marks the fifth installment in, in, uh, in it. And we find ourselves, uh, if you haven't been with us, one I want to just recommend, if you haven't been here, uh, you know, I, my brother was surprised. Detroit Church has a podcast. We got a website. You know, you can check the messages out in, in any number of formats there. Uh, so I want to encourage you guys to catch up on the series. Uh, you know, put, put your favorite Netflix down for a couple of hours and, and, and binge, binge watch or binge listen to some church. Uh, you, you know, it, it can't hurt. It's got to do you much better than uh, watching Dahmer on Netflix. Uh, that stuff will mess with your soul. Uh, so, you, you know, you want to be careful what you let in your eye gate and what you let in your ear gate uh, on that one. So uh, you get that one for free. Um, but a as we dive back in today, again, we find ourselves on the fifth installment. Uh, and, and where we find ourselves is at the tail end of a, a rebuke or an admonishment uh, given by Paul to Peter and some others over their treatment of Gentile believers, and more importantly, over their trampling on the gospel of grace. Uh, you, so you see mistreatment of people and a trampling on the gospel is, what, is where we left off with Meg on last week. Now, she reminded us last week to get in step with the gospel, and today I will remind you of the fact that this gospel that we preach and hopefully live Again, I say that we preach and hopefully live. If you preach it and don't live it, then there's a disjoint there. Uh, and that makes you just a, a Sunday person. And we can't just be Sunday people. There's a lot of week left, you, you, you know. And so we have to live this gospel, right? Uh, is This gospel is an everything or nothing prospect. Uh, I, I would submit to you that you can't be almost Christian, mostly Christian, uh, sort of Christian. You either are a Christian or you are not a Christian. And, uh, you, you know, just go ahead and just say it, make it, say it what it is. You, you know, I respect honest people, you know. So every now and then I get an honest kid that tells me I just didn't do my homework, Mr. Smith. You know, I say, oh, well, thank you. I appreciate you telling me that. that you know, because I get, I've been, when you've been teaching as long as I have, you've heard every version of the story, right? And so I tell my kids now, I don't need the story. You, you know, just, just tell me, just give it to me straight. Okay, you backslid. I get it. You, you, you know, now I'm not switched. I'm switched from school. I hope y'all caught that, right? You know, because nobody at school says I backslid and didn't do my homework, right? <laughs> that would be interesting. That would be a new thing, right? Uh, uh, you know, and I remind, just like I remind young people in school uh, of what they need to do and, and, and how it may benefit them, I remind folks in a church context likewise that, yeah, nobody gets to heaven with a perfect score, but, you know, you can always start this thing over. Anytime the Lord lets you wake up, you get to start fresh, yeah. right? You get to start fresh. You don't have to be who you were yesterday or do what you did yesterday. But anyway, uh, you know, don't start me to preaching, even though this is a preaching moment. So I guess I could, but we'll move on. Um, we're going to pick back up right where we left off last week as Paul continues his admonishment. If you brought your Bibles, turn there. If you got your phones, click there. Uh, because my hope and my prayer is that we embrace the truth that by faith we as believers are indeed justified through the completed work of Christ and not our own works. And that this truth, that this truth will indeed set us free to live lives unencumbered by external pressures to conform but by the very power of God to do all that he's called us to do and be, right? This is what I believe that this truth, if we get it down in our souls today, it will free us because so many of us live lives where all this external pressure to conform is on us. Uh, and we don't really want to be what the external pressure is trying to make us be. And, and, and we try to be it and, and eventually... That, that just breaks down and either I crack and flip out, uh, you know, or what have you. You, you know, you, you've seen people do it. I just can't take it no more. You, you know, I wish you'd just leave me alone. Stop talking to me about that, right? You know, you're talking to your mother, your wife, your husband, uh, your boss, 
right, you know, because of all the external pressure. But when you uh, get this thing down on the inside of you, then all of a sudden flowers start to bloom in your life, right? You, you know, because it was a seed planted and watered and God gave increase and this change comes from the inside out as opposed to from the outside in. You guys with me? Let's pray right quick and then we'll dive right in. Father God, we bless your name. Lord, we pray that you have found well-favored, pleasing, and acceptable the praise that we have rendered unto you today. That it's been a sweet smell and savor, oh Lord. Whether that was in song or raised hand or even offering given, we pray, God, that it was acceptable to you, God. And now we ask, Father, that you would indeed inhabit the space. Lord, I pray that you would visit each chair. Uh, this morning, oh God, that you would visit this pulpit and that you would make yourself known, that you would touch our hearts, that you would open our ears, that you would expand our minds, oh God. Help us to receive your word, Lord, uh, the way you want us to. I don't know what your purposes are, God. For some, it'll be a chastisement. For some, it will be an encouragement. So for some, it will be, uh, Lord, a, a rebuke or a correction, oh God. Whatever it is, Lord, accomplish your purposes in this place on today, we pray. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, I need y'all to know <clears throat> up front that this is the shortest text that I have been given in my time here at Detroit Church, right? But I don't want y'all to worry. I can still <laughs> preach for at least an hour, uh, you, you know, because I have a reputation to uphold. Uh, you, you know, so with that being said, turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Uh, we'll be covering verses 15 to 21 is my task on today. But we're going to read from verses 14 to 21. All right. Uh, when you get there, say amen. amen. All right. Now, some of y'all say amen too quickly, which means you're just looking at the screen. You ain't even bring your Bible. But anyway, uh, I'm glad you're looking at the screen. Galatians chapter 2, verses 14 to 21. I'm reading out of the ESV. Notice what it says. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Lord, I have a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to begin today's message by inviting you all to our Bible study this Wednesday. Right? They didn't leave it in the, in the announcements. God helped them, people who do that. Um, uh, so, and, you know, now I, I do so for several reasons, this invitation. Chief among them for the day is that this Wednesday I will go significantly deeper into the text than I can uh, in this moment. There's some heavy stuff saints in, in here for us to explore, and we need more time than I have right now with the two hours they've given me to keep y'all today. Um, it's amazing how that, that time just expands, uh, uh, Pastor Sonny. Um, now, for those of you who can't make it, it's all good. Um, please avail yourself again of our, of our podcast so you can still benefit from the study. And I don't know if you know it, but we also have an email address. If you have questions related to the sermon, the one I preach, or any of the ones that anybody has preached, uh, our, our email address for uh, those questions that you might have is gotbiblequestions at detroitchurch.com. Gotbiblequestions at detroitchurch.com. Now, with that being said, let me give you guys the structure 
uh, for this passage that I'll use as we go through it. This entire passage that we just read is a corrective against the thought that one can be justified by doing the law, right? Let me say that in non-theological terms, that you can get yourself together to such an extent that you are now acceptable to God if you act right for long enough and do right, right? There, there's this thought, and somehow that thought has made it out of biblical times and even into modern times where people still think if I just do more wrong or do more right than I do wrong, I'll be good with God, right? You know that I've heard that. If you ask the average person who believes in a God what you got to do to get to heaven, they're going to respond, well, as long as I do more good than bad, I'm going to be all right, you, you know. And hey, you know what? I, I, I almost wish it was true, except for the fact that I doubt that any of y'all are keeping good track of how much good and bad you do. I mean, if I walk up to you, I mean, you know, and you're 25, and I say, well, what's your score so far? What's your score so far, Eli? How you doing on the, the, the good versus bad? I know y'all are not doing this on a day-by-day -day basis, keeping track. Manny, what you got? What's your tally so far? Just today. Manny's quiet, y'all. I mean, I, all I asked for was today. It's only, you know, it's only 11, 12 right now. You ain't been keeping track, right? You know what's wrong, folks, right? So, so the whole notion of it sounds good, but it's really quite wacky that, that, that as long as I do more good, like there was some method by which I could track both my actions my activities, and God help me my thoughts so that I could go before God with some degree of confidence and say, you know what, God, when I finished the race, my score was 1 million uh, good things and 999,999 bad things. You got to let me in. Nobody has that kind of confidence, man. We in trouble if that's the road we're trying to travel on. Right. This this process that Paul is engaged in, this corrective, uh, this this process of correction he used in his passage contain several elements. And this is going to be the structure of this, this message today. Um, these elements are observation, confrontation, remediation, anticipation and individualization. Right. And I was trying to be impressive. Y'all don't know how long it took me to come up with all these shuns. You, you know, like, man, like, Lord, is that even a word, Lord? Yeah, I, had, I was Googling everything. Yeah, that's a word. Cool. So everything I said is actually a word. All right. So, so you can just know that for sure. I'll give it to you again because we're going to wrap the message up uh, around these. You'll see these in the text. Observation, confrontation, remediation, anticipation and individualization. All right. That's a tough one to say. Now, uh, we're going to look at the text through these lenses to see what the Spirit reveals to us today, and the rest we'll pick up on Wednesday, Lord, Lord willing. Sounds good? Yes, sir. Amen, amen. All right, now, so I, I won't re-preach what Meg did uh, because she did such an awesome job, but I will say that the observation and confrontation parts of Paul's corrective happen in verse 14, right? So I just want to show you those really quickly in verse 14 there, where, where it says, uh, again, okay, phone. Don't you hate when your phone just freeze on you right there, right where the Bible's at? This is why I should have just brought my Bible. All right, all right. Oh, well. Verse 14. Oh, you got me covered, Julie. Thank you. All right, all right. You didn't turn to the right passage, though. I mean, what kind of, you know. <laughs> all right. Uh, Galatians 2, verse 14. All right. The rest of them I got printed. But in verse 14, it says here, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This we see here. Now, this is where Paul has done some observation. He made what I would call precise observations of what was happening in front of him. Precise observations, right? Who was doing what, how others were being impacted, and most importantly, 
how it related to the truth of the gospel. All right, so he made these uh, precise observations of what was going on. It wasn't just some random, uh, he blew it, right? He, he's messing up uh, up there, right? So after making these precise observations, he then confronted the necessary parties with their wrongdoing in a manner befitting the situation, all right? Now, we talked extensively about this last week in Bible study, but in, in our text, what we're going to see today is we'll see the other three elements of his correction. And so everybody, can, can you see what I was talking about with the observation and then uh, his, his confrontation? Because he stepped right to uh, the, the, the main person who was the engineer of it all, but even included the other people. So you guys see that, right? All right, amen. Now, uh, Julie, here you go. You want, I, want you, I don't want to rob you of your Bible. I think we don't want you to backslide. Amen. All right. Now, notice that what began as seemingly adversarial, right, uh, in verse 14, because last week, you know, Meg's like, uh, when the way Paul stepped to Peter, I mean, face to face, and we got this, like, square up. Kind of a picture, if you're from the hoods, if you don't know what square up means, it's not a mathematical term. All right. That's not, you know, I'm a math teacher, but that's not what I mean when I say square up. All right. Uh, that, that, that's, that's where you get yourself ready for a confrontation. You are in proper fight posture, right? Got your footwork right, got your hands ready. That, that's what it means to square up uh, for those of you who haven't had that experience, right? And so last week, we see Paul square up if you would, against Peter and these other guys over this gospel matter and the impact that it's having on the Antiochian church, right? Uh, and yet I come along this week and tell you, uh, hold on, yeah, Paul did square up, but that, as we go from verse 14 into 15, Paul quickly demonstrates to us that he did not square up in the sense of getting ready to punch Pete in the face, Right. And, and so it's not he doesn't approach Peter as an adversary, as an enemy or an opponent. This is not the manner in which Paul approaches Peter. Right. As a matter of fact, it is I call it seemingly adversarial because what we see as we transition is that it becomes quite collegial. All right. In, in the way that Paul handles it. And so. We go from what looks like an adversarial confrontation to a collegial confrontation. And you might be saying, well, what in the heck is a collegial converse, uh, confrontation? I'll explain it to you uh, in a minute. You see, this is the beginning of what I call the remediation process. Now, uh, remediation, because uh, it's not my intent to just throw $2 words at you and leave you hanging out there, right? Remediation is defined as the action of remedying something in particular of reversing or stopping environmental damage. This is what remediation means, right? Uh, and, and I think that this is the perfect word to describe Paul's actions in this situation. Notice in this passage, beginning again at verse 14, that Paul uses, uh, only uses the word you twice. Right, I'm going to be needing you to look at your Bible carefully here, whatever your translation. In verse 14, Paul steps to Peter and says, you did this and you did this. Right? Uh, uh, this, this is the, these are the only two times we see the confrontation happen directly from Paul to Peter. He uses this you twice. And you know when, when, you, when you're checking somebody, you do a lot of finger pointing and saying you. You, know, you hurt me. You said this. You did that. Right. You do a lot of you. And for those of you who uh, may, may be getting into conflict mediation or such things, you know that a person can only take so many you's, even when they know they're wrong, before they begin to get defensive. Right. You, you know, even when you know you're wrong, you know, after a while, you're just like, look, I just, you know, I, I can't just be taking all that. Right. You, you know. And, and so knowing that Paul quickly shifts. Now, the yous were correct. He, everything that, that Paul told Peter he did, he did, right? But uh, we, we quickly go from the yous of verse 14, these two, the, these two yous, 
that we see here in the confrontation, this initial confrontation, to the words we and our. In fact, there's a whole lot more we and our than there are you, right? There are five. There are five we's and ours, not collectively, right? Four we's and one hour all the way down through verse 17. You say, this man has lost his mind. He just like to count stuff, right? Uh, no, I'm trying to show you guys good Bible study. See, all this stuff is there for a reason. All we got to do is ask God to show us what's really going on. There is a shift, a, a whole shift in tone that, that is uh, uh, illustrated by the transition from you to we and our in this remediation process. You guys with me? Right now, uh, you might be asking, OK, so what does it all mean? It, it means that he who, when I say he, Paul, doesn't forget that he's talking to his brother who's to be treated as such even when he's flat wrong. Right, right. You know, how, how many times do we get mad and forget that the person that we mad at and who we going off on is actually somebody I love dearly? I take a bullet for this person, but my conversation with or towards them does not illustrate the fact that I love them dearly and that I would take a bullet for them. In fact, my conversation often sounds more like I don't love them at all and I would be the one shooting the bullets. Right, and, and so like, wait a minute. So, so there is all of a sudden this disjoint in the reality of the relationship. Right? It don't look like I got a ring on my finger and I swore to, to, to love, honor, and cherish her and protect her all my days. Right? It, it don't look like she, she uh, promised to, to honor me and support me all her days. If, if I catch you at the wrong moment, I'm like, y'all married? If I catch you at the wrong moment, I'm like, that's, that's your child? Right? Because sometimes we treat the people closest to us a lot more like they're a stranger I met on the street who tried to mug me and I had to some of us treat the stranger better than we do the one that I swore to love, honor, cherish. It's something to think about. And if we transition that from a natural relationship to a spiritual relationship in the context of us being in Christ, then we are all a brothers and sisters if we have accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And that relationship far and away transcends any natural biological relationship because it's going to last a whole lot longer. All right, as much as I love my wife, I'm so glad she's my sister in Christ, so I get to spend eternity with her. But the husband-wife relationship has a termination date. Our, our, our filial relationship, our brother-sister relationship, our fraternal relationship will last for eternity. Right? And so I better make sure that I contextualize all the lower level relationships in the context of the highest level relationship, right? I, I better make sure I do that. And when can we see how you're really doing the best? It's all great when we got enough food and the circumstances are swell and you treating me right. Everybody look like their best friends under those circumstances. It's not really till there's a little trouble in paradise that I really find out the substance of your relationship. Like whether or not you for real ride or die. Because, you know, I, I messed up and will you throw me away? Will you cast me away? Will you put me down? Will you rip me to shreds? And then turn around and tell me how much you love me. The remediation process, family, is restorative, not punitive. Right? It's about restoration, not punishment. Right. It focuses on both the offending party and the whole local body at the same time, this remediation process. Now, seven weeks from now, somebody is going to be preaching to you from Galatians chapter six. And in it, Paul reminds all of us that if a brother or sister is caught up in any kind of sin, you who are spiritual should restore him or her in the spirit of gentleness or meekness, uh, lest we also be tempted, right? Paul wrote the book of Galatians. We happen to be in chapter 2, but he's going to say that about seven weeks from now. And what I think Paul is doing right now is demonstrating or illustrating in practice 
where he is later going to preach, right? He, he is demonstrating the command long before he issues it as an order to the church. Isn't it nice when you live what you preach before you preach it? So it ain't no great shock. Y'all ain't looking like he got a lot of nerves saying that. I saw what he was doing just last week, right? So, so Paul demonstrates this thing long before he issues the command. The remediation process is played out in verses 15 and 16, right? So let's take a second look at verses 15 and 16. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, right? Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Did you notice all the we's? Right? Not, not you. Not you, Peter, get your life together. You need to know, go, go to Bible study. You need to go to Bible school. You need some, some anger management. You need to stop being a punk and being scared of everybody. Right? And letting them coerce you into coming off your square. Right? He, he didn't give it to him like that. He, he goes from a face-to-face confrontation to a coming alongside, right? This is, this is what he does. Now, what, what is he doing here? He's doing at least two things that, that I see. One, he is aligning himself alongside Peter, as I just said. He's coming alongside. So, man, aren't you more open and receptive to a, a conversation that somebody can come alongside and you know, point out some things. You know, when you see pictures like on stock photos of people working collaboratively, you know, you see them, they, they side by side, and they're looking at the thing together, right? You, you know, and that's, that's the stock photo, as opposed to, you, you know, that, that stock photo, right? That, that's, that's what's going on here. So he's aligning himself alongside Peter, and secondly, he is reminding Peter of their shared biblical knowledge and experience with Jesus. You know, somebody said it earlier, we forget, right? We forget who we are. We forget what we learned. But we forget all manner of things. I think it's just part of, of who we are as a people, right? You might ask, why is Paul doing it this way, though? The answer, I would say, is, 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 is his method is both spiritual and gentle, and it's really quite disarming. You ever be ready for a fight? You know, you're ready. You know you're wrong. You know it's coming. I mean, like, you know you got it coming, but you ain't quite ready to admit that you know you got it coming, so you're ready for a scrap. Right, right? You, you know. And then the, per- then, then the moment happens, and the person come to you in a way different than what you expected. Because you was expecting them to kick down the door. I'm really feeling constrained right now with this. All right, you know. Uh, you was expecting them to kick down the door, right? And come in, guns blazing, hot. You know, and they come in and say, hey, how was your day? You know, I brought you a donut. You know, and now you like, you, you know, I mean, you was ready for war, and they brought me a donut, and they asked me how my day was. You, you know, it's like, what's going on? What's going on with that, right? I, I would argue that this is what Paul is doing, and again, the purpose, because the purpose is remediation. See, if the purpose was punishment. You come in, guns blazing, give it to them, full barrel, both barrels, right? But if the purpose is remediation, I'm trying to restore my brother, all right? And restoring him and ripping him to shreds are somehow counter to one another. They are somehow counter to one another, right? And so Paul's methodology, first of all, is spiritual because it honors God. God endorses this methodology, right? It's, it's gentle. Remember, we do so. He's going to tell us in seven weeks, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness or gentleness, right? And so it's not harsh, right? It's not, it's not harsh. It's, it's, uh, it's only what it needs to be, and it's disarming. Because I need to get to the inside of you, not the outside of you. And in order for me to get to the inside of you, I need you to open up. So I can get to the inside of you versus if you close, right? I can't get to the inside of you, right? And this is what's going on. 
what does he say? Let me just contemporize it for you. He says, bro, you know where we come from and what we learned and who we put our faith in, right? You also know that nobody ever got proclaimed right with God by doing the law. That, that, that's what he says, right? We learned all this together, he, he says, right? Now, let me ask you a question. If you want to dispel darkness, what's the quickest, easiest way to dispel darkness? Turn on the light. Y'all, y'all some Bible scholars, y'all. Huh? Just, just turn on the light. right? We ain't got to have a meeting about it. It don't require a committee meeting. It don't require us to come up with a strategic plan. Flip the switch. Right? And this is exactly what Paul did, and this is what the remediation process looks like. Right? His boy is in darkness. He turns on the light. Right? Now, we turn next to anticipation. Right, we turn, oh, were these, pop, were these popping up? Did they pop up? Okay, cool, cool, right? Uh, we, we turn next to anticipation, right, which we see in verses 17 and 18. And notice what it says here in verses 17 and 18. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I reveal what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now, Paul here in these two verses anticipates an argument by some that say, suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. All right, don't, don't forget the larger context. The larger context is we have a potential church split, right, over this issue of do Christians follow the Mosaic law or do we not, right, in, in all of its tenets, all right, and I want to spend time talking about the three aspects of the law, civil, social, and ceremonial, and all of that wonderful stuff, right, and, and you know, it's highlighted in this context with circumcision being the chief thing, Right. That, that, that guys got to do in order to show that they they for real ride or die with Jesus. Right. So do they got to do that or not? And, and so, that, that, you know, you got people who are diehard in their belief that this that this got to go this way. People who are diehard in their belief that it don't. And if this issue doesn't get resolved correctly, what we got is First Baptist and New First Baptist. Right. This is how denominationalism begins, right, when they can't agree over a, a seemingly simple matter to the point where they disfellowship themselves from one another, right? So this, this is really what's, what's going on here, right? And, and so, and, and Paul anticipating this, this argument, right, he anticipates the eventual question because this Jesus, you say, sets us free from the law uh, but if, if it's not true, then we have abandoned the law. And so we're still caught up in our sins because we've abandoned what God instituted. Right. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? That that's this is the argument or the question that Paul anticipates. His response is clear. Absolutely not. God forbid in some translations. Right. And, and so uh, it's important when we're in the remediation process that we do our best by God's grace to anticipate potential arguments against what it is we're trying to deliver and have some well-reasoned answers all right, to these things. We do our very best. Now, we don't have the responsibility to know everything, right? You can't know everything, and it's okay to say, I don't know. But we do have the responsibility to know something. So you can't come with the correction. You ain't got no information about nothing. You can't anticipate. I mean, as soon as they fire back at you, like, well, you know, I don't know. All right, you know, you're not going to receive the remediation process from somebody you think is an idiot. You, you, you just not, all right? You know, you, you just not, right? So you got to have some credibility, which means you got to have some degree of biblical knowledge, some degree of maturity, and I'm getting ahead of myself, to, to step into this moment and, and allow God to use you to help bring this person back and cultivate the larger environment. You guys with me? Right? So now what I want you to notice beyond his response, notice here that Paul places himself in the role of the transgressor if he goes against what they were both taught and what they agreed on 
previously back in Jerusalem. Did you, did you notice the pronoun switch? He went from we and I, first of all, he went from you to we and our to I. Right? So now there's no fingers being pointed at Peter. Paul's talking about himself. Right? But Paul hasn't done anything wrong in this context. So why, Paul, do you change this to talking about you? I'll tell you a lot about that in a minute, but his, his methodology, uh, it, this, this thing is not Paul versus Peter anymore. Right? It's not Paul versus Peter. It's anybody versus the standards of Scripture. Right? That, that's, because that's what it always was, but he was in the dark. He was blind. So Paul had to use proper methodology, if you would, to transition him from you versus them and you versus me to us versus the standards set by God, which is always where it's at. When we, when we end up over there in no man's land in the dark, it's not because I offended you or them. I made some mistake with you. My first offense was that I violated the standards of God, yeah. right? Uh, and I didn't hear the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you overstepped. And so I end up going from a violation of the standards of God to violating you. You getting your feelings. And if you handle it wrong, I never get back to where I needed to be. Right, right. You know, because we can, we can kind of get in the way of the Holy Spirit and say, don't worry about it, God. I got this. I'm going to set them straight, Jesus. They, I mean, you know, you tried, Jesus. You tried and. And, and, you know, the still small voice wasn't working, so they need a good cussing out. Some of y'all just said it. The old folks used to say, don't make me lay down. See, some of y'all just said it. Y'all knew. I just wanted to see if y'all still remember, right? And it's amazing how short the list started on the things that would make you lay down your religion and how long it got. All of a sudden, we land down our religion at the drive-thru line because they forgot our fries. You, you, you know, we land, I mean, we land down our religion for a whole lot of stuff. You know, now, I mean, it used to be, oh, they, they got to do something major for me to lay down my religion. And nowadays, man, you, you know, it's, it's rough out in them streets. You, you know, we, we pulled into a parking space the other day, and uh, the driver who got there before we did, but decided that he wanted to put his car a whole foot into my parking space. Luckily, I had to, we had a small car, but I'm thinking, you know what? There's people who would key somebody's car for stuff like that. Y'all laughing. There's people out there, people who bust your windows, you know, for, for violations like that. I mean, you know, you, you can't bump into nobody nowadays by accident. I mean, people walk around on short fuses. We live in a crazy world. You know, and that's just people walking in the church. Don't let nobody sit in your favorite seat. They sit in your favorite seat. I mean, you know, Jesus, <laughs> you got to pray. Like, Lord, you know, you know I'm hurting right now. They sat in my seat. <laughs> right? You know, don't let me go off over here. Right? You, you know, uh, we, we, we have to learn how to let God use us in heated situations for the process of remediation, as opposed to working against God, working for the enemy, right? Y'all remember what the enemy, what Jesus said the enemy comes to do? Y'all remember the three things? Still kill and destroy. Now, contrary to what you may see in the movie, the enemy is not coming in with like Rambo with machine guns and arrows. The enemy's subtle. He won't use you to do his dirty work. He won't use me to do his dirty work. And so he's going to be like, you know, hit you on the shoulder. Did you see what she said? Did you hear her? Did you hear? I mean, did you know? I mean, did you, you know, Pastor Sonny had a lot of nerve uh, authorizing a four by eight piece of real estate for, for us to, to traipse around on. You know, this is my, I'm, I'm, this is cathartic. I'm working through it. This is the first time I had to preach on this, right? You, you, you know, so the enemy say, he knew you wanted to walk around more than that, right? That's what the enemy say. The nerve of that guy. I mean, you, you know, what's wrong? He don't care nothing about you at all. You know, you need to, you need to just go ahead and, and, and blast him out on a Sunday morning and, and, and lead the church, right? That's what the enemy would say. And I said, no, enemy, I'm not going out like that. I said, thank you, Pastor Sonny, for giving me 
a, a little bit of space to, 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 work, to work around in. Right, right, I appreciate it. So, uh, 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 y'all, y'all help me. <laughs> I'm enjoying my yard, y'all. Amen, amen. Now, remember that Paul will later tell us that those who are spiritual should engage in this process. And so as you listen to me preach this message and you get to start feeling like, you know what? I like that what Pastor Flynn said. I got some people I need to go remediate. And we start to feel in ourselves. We got a whole list. Y'all might be thinking about it right now. I need to remediate that one, and I need to remediate that one, right? And that all might be true. They might need some remediation. The question is, are you the one for the job, right? You know, some of y'all are tech savvy. You can show me how to do a whole bunch of stuff. Some of y'all are tech clueless, don't know how to hit an app to do a podcast, right? You, you know, so some of y'all I can trust to show me some stuff. Some of y'all I can't trust to show me nothing, right? The problem is you might think you tech savvy and you might not really be tech savvy. That's a dangerous person, right? Because I'm like, you locked up my phone. I don't know how to get it unlocked. What did you do? I don't know. I was just pushing buttons. You, you know, I saw it on Google right quick. It looked easy enough to me, right? You, you know, so the scriptures lays out a criteria. He says... Let those who are spiritual restore such a one. So spiritual folk are to be the ones engaged in this process because it's dangerous for both parties. If I handle you wrong, you go even further off the deep end. If I'm not ready, I go off the deep end with you. Right? And, and so, you no, know, I'm walking back to Pastor Sonny like, man, you told me to go talk to that person. I wouldn't have talked to him. We ended up in an argument they said they ain't never coming back, and I'm thinking about leaving too. That's, that's, not what that, that's not how that was supposed to go. That's not how that was supposed to go. And he says to me, well, all I asked you to do was go ask them how they was doing and offer to pray for them. You know, so he looking like, that's all I asked you to do. You couldn't accomplish. How are you doing? And can I pray for you? Because I, I, what I heard was they need for me to go get them straight. Pastor Sonny want to know why you ain't been in church in three weeks. That, that's what he want to know. And, and he told me to tell you we praying for your heathen butt. You, you, you know, that, that's, that's what happened, right? And they, they're like, no, he didn't say that. Yes, he did. Right, right. You know, and now they had another church talking about I got hurt by that, that Detroit church. They talking about their safe haven. They, you know, that Pastor Sonny, I, I was, my mother was in the hospital for three weeks. He ain't even called. You, you know, and to see how I was doing, and he sent somebody over there, and they just blasted me out. They didn't even ask me, you know, why I wasn't in church. You see how quickly the, the train can go off the tracks? I mean, it, it can happen all too quickly. Even, even when you're spiritual, sometimes it can go off the tracks. But at least when you're spiritual, you know enough to be quiet. Like, okay, this is not going right. He's praying internally, Lord, I don't know, you know. I don't know how to get out of this one, Lord. They, 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 going, they, they, they going off on me, and all I did was ask them how they was doing, Lord. Right? You, you, you know, I wanted to pray for them, and this is what's going on internally. Right? You ain't saying nothing. You smiling. Right? Sometimes you ain't even smiling. You just... You just taking it. Right? Because sometimes when you're spiritual, that means you got to take the lashing that is not deserved by you on behalf of Christ, because Christ is trying to do a deeper work in them that they won't even realize till later when they get home. And like, I blasted that man out and all he asked me was how I was doing. And then later, they come in and they broke down because the Holy Spirit did what he was going to do that you couldn't do. And he trusted you enough for some trouble. Right? You, you know, some of us can't be trusted to go in a hot situation because we, we got thin skin and we burn quick and we recoil. Some of us, God has had, let me just, let me give you, uh, I don't know how much time I got in my two hours, y'all let me know. Um, some of us, well, he, he, this is all of us. God has us on a process and some of the reasons we go through tough stuff in life is not because we were being bad Christians or anything like that. 
Some of it is simply that God wants to toughen us up so that he can send us to tough places with tough people. Right? And so he can't send thin-skinned Christians who don't know how to take nothing to deal with thick-skinned people who do, who do everything. He's got to have some of us have some calluses on our hands so that we can go without the, uh, the gloves in the kitchen that you take hot stuff out of the oven with. It's nice to have them to prevent you from burning yourself. But I got a friend who's a chef. He don't even need gloves no more. He didn't burn his hands so many times. I don't, he don't even feel heat. Right? He just, uh, uh. I'm like, did you, what did you just do? Right? Like, did you just grab that thing? You, you know, uh, some of us got to wash our dishes in lukewarm water because you can't take hot. Right? And so God wants to thicken us up so he can send us to deal in hot situations. Right? Now you get that for free. Let's go back. We're almost done. Now, spiritual maturity assumes a certain amount of biblical maturity, right? So let, let me just say that because Paul takes Peter on a journey through what they've learned and where they've been, right? We learn this, bro. We believe this, bro, is what he says. Now, as we go into the last step in the correction process, the last step is individualization, right? We see it in verses 19 to 21. Excuse me. Where it says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is Paul's personal testimony based on the truth they both held. This is not, I'm giving you my truth and you got your truth. This is their truth, which happens to be the truth because there is no my truth or your truth. There is only the truth. Now, you either have it or you don't, right? So they both have this truth, right? And, and Paul's giving his personal testimony. I can tell you what, what we both heard. I can tell you, hey, you was in church the same time I was in church when they preached that word. You heard it just like I heard it. I can tell you that, right? That's an objective statement, right? You was there, I was there. We both on a video, right? But what I cannot tell you is what you believe or how it impacted you. Right? I can't tell you whether it got down on the inside and got planted in you so that now fruit is beginning to, to flower. Right? I cannot tell you that. Right? I can most certainly tell you how that truth has impacted me. Un un unimpeachable unarguable, right, is your personal testimony with the truth of God. Nobody can tell you, no, nope, that's not true. When you go to them and say, this is how it's impacted me. This is what's going on in my life. Those things are not arguable, right? And so again, when a whole bunch of yous, a person can get defensive and start saying, but what about you? But if you beat them to the punch and you get to the this is about me, right? So it's not me pointing fingers at you. It's me reminding you of a standard that we're both accountable to. And then it's me telling you how this truth that we're both accountable to has shown up in my life. How it's impacted, how it's impacted my life, right? This is what's going on. Paul told Peter that the law brought him to the point by God's grace where he was dead to the law. Right. Which is an interesting thing. I mean, it, it, it's lost in translation and we'll dive into it on Wednesday. But I'll give you this much to be dead to something in the way that Paul uses it is uh, to no longer allow it to hold sway over your life. So think about who Paul was. Right. Uh, uh, Paul used to be Saul. Saul dedicated his life to the law. Right. To such an extent that those who he thought were breakers of this law. He set about a mission to 
to persecute them, jail them, imprison them, and even kill them, right? This is who Paul used to be, right? And now, is something wrong? Oh, okay. And, and now he's delivered from that, and that no longer guides his life. This, this, this uh, dedication to the dictates of the law, that, that, that's not what guides his life right now, right? So it no longer holds sway, right? He, he was wrapped up in that, but now he's wrapped up in God. He's wrapped up in Christ, right, is what he says. His identification was with Christ, right? Now, we got to be careful because we're in an age where folks, you, you got to ask folks, what do you identify as? And all of that kind of stuff. And I hope if somebody asks you what you identify as, you say, I identify as with Christ, right? But I hope that's not just a T-shirt. I hope it's not just a hat, a bumper sticker, a, a wristband, right? I, I hope that if I follow you around for five minutes or five hours or five days, that I'll be able to see very clear evidence that you identify with Christ. That you'll be able to see very clear evidence that I identify with Christ, right? Because this is what Paul basically says. He, his identification with Christ was in every aspect of his life because of what Christ did for him via his sacrifice. Imagine the, 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 the sense. Man, God does a great thing with Paul, right? Paul knew who he was. Paul never forgot. He was under no illusions about the kind of man he was and what he did, right? And so just think about, you know, let's just say you were a, a, a terrorist, right? Pick your flavor. Anywhere around the planet, any time in history, you were a terrorist, and somehow God got a hold of you, and you became this, this you know, you're, you're a Christian now, you're an evangelist, missionary, or whatever, but you never forget that you were a terrorist, right? And, and like, wow, I was a terrorist, but I realized that Jesus died for me. I mean, that, that God loved me enough to even allow me to hear the gospel, to be receptive to the gospel, to embrace the gospel, and to accept Christ by faith. Man, I mean, like, it should constantly be mind-blowing that I'm in the family of God. Right now, it's easy for us to look at Paul and say, wow, God, he literally was a, a Christian terrorist and you saved him. And that reality is never lost on Paul. It's never lost on Paul, but I want to make sure that we get it that while Paul was the chief of sinners by his own admission, the Holy Spirit allowed it to be written in Scripture, so I can't disagree with it. I'm in line for number two. And somebody's going to be right behind me with, for number three. Right? And, and just like Paul should marvel, just like Paul should marvel at, at the wonderful grace of Jesus, we too should marvel at the wonderful grace of Jesus. Do you know, you know, Jesus, Jesus says some, some mind-boggling, startling things. One of the most mind-boggling things he ever said, in my opinion, was wide is the road that leads to destruction. Many there be that follow it. Narrow is the path, right? So we get this picture, wide, think, think, telegraph, crash it. You know, whatever, right? Wide is the road. A lot of cars on that. Narrow streets, these little side streets, right? You, you know. Few there be that find it. Few. And I'm one of the few. You might be one of the few. And it's not because of our ingenuity. It's not because I had a Google Maps that, 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 that brought me to salvation. Right, right. I mean, you know, it's like I, I wouldn't have found it. I mean, Jesus could have had me be born anywhere at any time. Right. He could have had me be born in some village where nobody ever heard of a Bible or the gospel or nothing. Right. He could have had me be born in communist China. Right. Some place where the gospel hasn't penetrated yet. Right. But he had, you, you know, so so I'm like, wow, God, you had me be born right there. You had me be born in this Christian family. You had me be born. Uh, next door to some Christians or down the street from some Christians. You had me bump into a Christian at, at Walmart. You had me, you had me intersect your gospel somewhere along the way. You had my ears 
primed and ready to be able to hear that gospel. You have my heart ready to be able to receive it. Oh, my goodness. Because few there be to find it. Right? Like, wow, you love me that much that you were engineered throughout all eternity, the moment that I got to you and realized you were you and I was me and I needed you. Right? And, and once I got that realization, I look back and I was like, wow, I don't, I don't deserve. I don't deserve for him to have gone through all that work to get me to the point where I'm a son or a daughter. I, I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. We collectively, we don't deserve it. And so if I know I got the world's greatest gift just given to me, and I know I have no possible way that I ever really deserved it, how should that reality impact my life in terms of my service and servitude to the one who gave me the gift? Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Do you understand what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, my whole life is dedicated to this great, to this Christ who loved me. I, my life, my former life is dead. I sacrificed my life. I sacrificed my life. I'm going to live his life. Because some of us, you know what, you know, we live in an age where people say, do you. Right? Don't, don't cut yourself saying, do you. Catch yourself saying, do Christ. Right? Because your life don't belong to you. Now, Paul will say it very succinctly, clearly. First Corinthians chapter 6, you don't belong to you. All right? He reminds us, Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, you know, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's so nice. Right? Right? But, but, but Paul is not, he gives us niceties on occasion, but be, just remind yourself. I didn't save me. I couldn't save me. He saved me when I didn't deserve to be saved. Therefore, he is deserving of all I have to render. The old hymn writer said, what shall I render unto thee? What can you do? Whatever he wants you to do is the proper answer. Never think that God is asking you to do too much. Because if you think he's asking you to do too much, you have a premium, a higher premium on yourself. <laughs> you know, you ain't worth that much. Right? I, I ain't worth that much. Like, God, you know, you're asking me to do too much. He said, oh, really? Let me, let me remind you what I did for you. Right, right? The Hebrew writer, I love the Hebrew writer, and I got to get ready to wrap up. The Hebrew writer says, we have not resisted or strived against sin yeah. unto blood. Yeah. How many of you guys have shed blood in, order, in, in your service to Christ? All right, not many of us have had to shed blood. So, I mean, you know... All he's asking for is a lot of time, a little money, some faithfulness. That's what he's asking for from us. Is that too much to ask? That's not too much to ask. If it is too much to ask, you have not adequately understood what it costs for you to be in the family of God. We have not reached the point where Paul reached when he says, I am crucified with Christ. I died with him. And so he's going to live his life through me. That's what Paul is saying. I died with him. He's going to live his life through me. To return to the old ways in Paul's mindset would be to literally invalidate the grace to set him free and make meaningless the death of Christ. Like Christ would have died for nothing. If I, got, if I go back to this law, this great sacrifice that I know he made on my behalf, that whole meeting on the Damascus Road, all of it means nothing if I go back to trying to work my way into heaven. If I go back to developing my list of I, here's my right stuff, here's my wrong stuff. Right? We, we cannot invalidate the sacrifice of Christ. This is, this is what Paul is saying. This is Paul, saints, pouring out his heart to Peter and these others. Right, the remediation process requires some vulnerability on behalf of the person sent to do the remediation. Requires some vulnerability, right? He, he's doing it with loving and gentle care, not animus, no animosity, no vitriol, right? He actually cares for these men. 
Hmm. You got somebody you got to set straight? Be careful how you do it. Be careful how you do it. Remember that we only win if they win. And they only win if we get in line with the truth of the gospel. Right? The late great Wilson Pickett reminds us that 99 and a half just won't do for you old heads. Not in love and certainly not with the gospel. 99 and a half won't do. You can be close, but you got to have, remember, it's an it's a everything or nothing prospect, right? Let us each endeavor to be easily corrected, right? I don't want to send a bunch of people out here thinking they're on a mission to go remediate. Some of y'all on a mission to be remediated. So I need us to be as ready to be the one receiving the services as the one giving them, right? So let's endeavor to be easily corrected when our time for correction comes. Let us each be ever so gripped by the truth and dripping with gentleness when we have to correct one another. It's not an if, it's a when. We, we don't, we, you know, none of us are perfect Christians. We ain't going to be perfect to the trump blow. So, so all of us going to have to get in line for some correction. Prayerfully, all of us will be able to be used by God to do something with one another. What I want to remind you of as I close is that souls really do hang in the balance. Souls hang in the balance. Amen? Amen. God bless you, saints. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.